From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and SiriusXM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on SiriusXM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. My guest in this episode is Eric Barker. He's the author of the funny and very practical blog, Barking Up the Wrong Tree, which is now a book of the same name. Eric is a, uh, an alum of the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, when he was here a while back, he was a philosophy major, asking the big questions and, as he put it, contemplating joblessness. Well, he then went on to be a Hollywood screenwriter, and recently he's pivoted to use his phenomenal writing skills and his sharp wit uh, in his blog and the book that brings practical advice on such things as honing your strengths and aligning personal values with the environments in which you find yourself. These and many other ideas uh, which challenge, in many cases, the common wisdom for how to create harmony in our lives is uh, Eric's signature strength, which I think you'll find both uh, enjoyable to listen to and instructive. So here now is my conversation with Eric Barker about success in work and life. Eric, welcome to Work and Life. Thanks, Stu. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. Um, so you are a Penn alum, correct? Yes. Yes, I am. All right. So um, before we get into all the wonderful pieces of advice that you have uh, put together in your uh, uh, can't-put-down book, what did you study here? Were you barking up uh, the wrong I, tree as a Penn student? Uh, no, I, I, I was at the college. I was a philosophy major. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, was, I, was, I was contemplating joblessness for a long time and uh, <laughs> uh, asking uh, asking questions, asking deeper questions uh, about success, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that, that I pulled, I guess, a little bit of that uh, question, question asking philosophy training uh, from my time at Penn, definitely. Oh, okay. So, you know, I, I am a big fan of your newsletter, and uh, my wife will often share some of uh, your wisdom with our millennial children, of which we have three. Um, and, and so for anybody who's not read any of your, your pieces, uh, you've taken... Uh, what might be quite arcane reading, you know, boring research papers, and turn them into these really engaging, uh, even riveting stories. So let's get into uh, some of the highlights of what you have uh, pulled together in uh, in such a compelling way in in barking up the wrong tree. Um, you know, you've you've found and compiled some fascinating myths about achievement. And success, you, for example, note that valedictorians, people whom we'd expect to be the ones to go on to become, well, rich and famous, if not rich, they aren't actually the ones who are most likely to become the millionaires. What, what are some of the most egregious pieces of advice that just don't pan out 
when when we're barking up the wrong tree, pursuing the wrong path, or just getting the wrong message? Yeah, I think that's one of the the most interesting insights uh, was research by Karen Arnold at Boston College. Uh, she tracked valedictorians, and and what she found was that you know rather than rather than ending up being the ones that you know change the world or leave the world, um, you know valedictorians. Uh, the reason they do so well in school is because school has very clear rules, and you know, uh, uh, valedictorians usually are very good at following rules. Mm-hmm. They usually score high in, in, uh, in like the personality trait of conscientiousness. Uh, but you know, life is very messy, and following rules, you know, compliance makes these students go on when they graduate to kind of fit into the system and not to change the system or lead the system. So while valedictorians certainly do well, many go on to professional careers, get advanced degrees, and have good lives, uh, they, they don't become the movers and shakers that, that change and lead the world in general. So, so what's, what's wrong about the common wisdom? Are, are you, did you conclude that we should be raising rule breakers and not rule followers? Um, I mean, it's one of those things where it's, it's I think, a key element uh, here. Uh, when I spoke to uh, Harvard professor uh, Gotham Akunda, he talked about mm-hmm. uh, the issue of, of kind of alignment, of knowing, knowing yourself, knowing your, your signature strengths, and that's, that's some of the research uh, on that. Much of the research actually has been done at the University of Pennsylvania by, uh, by Martin Seligman and others. Mm-hmm. Knowing the signature strengths, your things you're uniquely good at, and then finding an environment that uh, that rewards those, uh, and then by by thinking about knowing by knowing yourself. I mean, going back to the you know the Oracle at Delphi, and you know knowing yourself, knowing your strengths, and finding an environment that uh, that is aligned with that. You know that is often a a prescription for success. The problem that you know most people have is that they're they're not really getting to know themselves. They're not focusing on the strengths, and they're not finding an environment that is aligned with those. So if you are you know, naturally a conscientious rule follower. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can do very well in school. And if you find an environment where, hey, it's a very clear path, you know, you can do very, very well. But if you naturally are somebody who doesn't follow rules so well, and you put yourself in an environment where you're going to have to comply, check all the boxes, you're going to struggle. And if you're mm-hmm. a conscientious rule follower who finds himself in a very kind of chaotic, creative, or dynamic, fast-changing that doesn't have hard rules, mm-hmm. you're going to struggle. So it's, it's not an issue of, hey, this type of people are always good and these are always bad. Of course not. It's that issue of, of knowing yourself and aligning the environment so that, mm-hmm. you can, so that you're in an area where you can succeed. Yeah, it's, it's almost always a matter of fit when, when we think about the success of people in their careers and their organizations. Uh, you know, because there's no one best way. Uh, you know, both parties have to know who they are, what they're looking for, and to and and often, of course, you don't know at first, and so you've got to experiment. Um, what did you discover about how people do find that fit or alignment uh, of you know who they are and where they can be most successful? What was the most compelling aspect of that process that you gleaned from your study? Um, one thing that I found really interesting was uh, Peter Sims, uh, former venture capitalist, who wrote an excellent book called Little Bets, uh, mm-hmm. uh, talks about this phenomenon of little bets, of basically, uh, you know, uh, trying things uh, in, a, in a low investment sort of way, giving things a shot. Because when he looked at he looked at the research, he saw that you know most entrepreneurs. When you look at so many of the great Silicon Valley companies, uh, they pivoted. 
you know, they, they started out as one thing. And, you know, Google was originally uh, designed for, for assisting library searches, you know, and became a, 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 you know, a global search engine company. You know, uh, eBay was, was, was selling Pez dispensers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's so many of them pivoted. And what he realized was across the board, uh, entrepreneurs didn't sit in a vacuum and decide what they were going to do. They had to actually go out and do things in order to discover what it was yes. they wanted to do. And you see this across the board, uh, you know, from comedians who, you know, that, that, that uh, uh, one of the other examples that, uh, that Peter Sims uses is that great one-hour Chris Rock HBO comedy special, you know, is not an hour of improv. Uh, Chris Rock actually goes and, uh, in front of unannounced, goes to comedy shows, uh, goes to, to, to comedy clubs, and tests jokes. Some work, some bomb. And after six months to a year of testing, you know, jokes and seeing which ones worked, how he can make them better, uh, he pulls everything that worked together, and then we get an hour of nonstop laughs. So, so it's not an issue of sitting in a vacuum and deciding. It's mm-hmm. an issue of actually testing in a low-resource-intensive way. Mm-hmm. So we need to go out there and try things. We've heard so much emphasis on grit, but we also need to realize the value in, in quitting, the value in kind of uh, with our careers and other areas of our lives, taking that sort of venture capital model where we, we try 10 things, realizing that seven will probably fail, two may break even, and one can be that next great career opportunity, that next great relationship, that, that next great, uh, great opportunity in our lives. Yeah, we've got to be continually experimenting, and, and that's what I've been teaching from my students here and clients and organizations around the world for a couple of decades now, the idea that uh, you know, you know, you got to know yourself. You got to know the people around you as best you can. But you got to be continually experimenting with how you get things done. And <clears throat> we use this the same concept of small wins. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole research literature which I'm sure you're familiar with that that speaks to the power of taking a small step in a direction that looks right for you. But it's a small step that has low risk and from which you're going to learn. And you're just constantly doing that so that you learn from movement, from action, and then seeing the impact of what you have done on yourself, on the people around you, and you're adjusting, adjusting constantly. It's a, it's a, a never-ending uh, process of, of continually learning. So that is a powerful idea, and that's what you've seen. Uh, and and described in terms of how people ultimately find their you know their best fit with uh, of, of of their talents with uh, with where they can use it that talent to best effect. Absolutely, I think that's that's critical. It's it's you know things aren't decided in a vacuum. Right. You know they're they're uncovered in in kind of an ongoing conversation with with your environment, with the world, with with real Absolutely. people out there. And yeah, so so you know what you start out with may be very different than what you uh, end up with, and that's that's all part of the fun, isn't it? Um. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. I mean, I think, and I think you're you're absolutely right. I think that's a critical point. Is that you know finding you know, finding the fun in it is, is really critical to, uh, to keep going. You know, the, the, also the amount of research in terms of, uh, you know, being grit by, by you know, uh, continuing to have grit by making things a game, by making them playful, by, by, by you know, by keeping that kind of light attitude towards it versus, versus clinging to, to a set idea in your head, which, which may not be working. Which you have done really well, Eric. I commend you uh, so much for 
the sense of humor uh, and lightheartedness that you bring to a really serious subject, which is, you know, <laughs> how do we make much. our lives meaningful and successful? You know, you're you're laughing at yourself. You're you're laughing at us. You know, all of us who you know, are strivings and and our fa- failings, uh, and and it just makes it so much more accessible because of your sense of humor. So you have obviously taken that principle to heart. I, I mean, I've you know, I, I think I think it's it just makes it a lot more fun. My my background after Penn, uh, I was a screenwriter in Hollywood for for ten years, largely writing comedy and. You know, I mean, a, a lot of the research, you know, it needs to have rigor uh, in order mm-hmm. to pass muster and to and to to be scientifically valid. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, sometimes that that renders it as you know as entertaining to to read as a as a as a as a legal document. And I think if <laughs> if we can if we can liven it up a little bit and make it accessible, I think you know, there's a great quote by William Gibson that I love, where he said. The future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And, and I believe that's true. And we look at a lot of, there's some, you know, fantastic ideas and insights coming out of academia, uh, but many of them never leave the, the, the hallowed halls because, uh, you know, it's very difficult for the, the average person to, right. to, to get their brain around. So I think making things accessible uh, is, is that step that can really, you know, can, can really get people to start using these great ideas that can change their lives. Yeah, and you've really done that. So the big question, what separates the extremely successful from the rest of us? Um, many things, uh, but, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, one thing that we, we definitely see is, is, first of all, understanding, understanding those strengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, understanding your signature strengths, but another uh, really interesting concept, which which I hadn't uh, heard before, uh, and again, this comes from uh, Harvard Business School professor Gotham Makunda, is the con- the concept of intensifiers. And signature strengths are you know rather easy to understand. It's kind of you know the the, the things that you're uniquely you're uniquely good at, which is you know you're very organized, you're very creative. Uh, do you get along very well with people? Uh, but intensifiers are are are. Uh, have a, a nice little twist on them, and those are those are your characteristics, uh, your personality characteristics or abilities, which may be negative at the mean. So, in other words, um, you might be someone who is very stubborn, and at the mean, you know, stubborn has a negative connotation. It's it's not considered a good quality in a in your standard hierarchical corporation. Uh, stubbornness uh, would not be a positive. So, when you, you know, say however, at the mean, you mean like on average, in, in, for yeah. most people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. On, on average, we would consider that a negative trait. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we talk about entrepreneurs, uh, we, we always talk about, you know, breathe, stick to it, you know, don't, you know, don't give in to failure. And what is that? Well, in many cases, that's stubbornness. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, there's many characteristics which can be, you know, negative on average, but given the right circumstances, they can become positive. Mm-hmm. And that's another critical element of that sort of alignment formula of success, where understanding that, you know, if, if you know, really enjoying arguing uh, might be, being disagreeable might be uh, a negative trait on average. However, if you're, uh, you're a lawyer, if you're, if you're a litigator, um, you know, that, that's a fantastic uh, benefit. But if you mm-hmm. choose to become uh, if you choose to become a, uh, a therapist uh, and not a litigator, mm-hmm. uh, that that powerful trait you have, your feelings is, are wrong. Is, and let me tell you yeah. why. <laughs> Cut it out. 
um, you know, right. uh, that's, that's, so, that's going to be a negative, not a positive. So you got to um, be so, smart about, about who you really are and, and where that's going to be most, most useful. What's the best advice you've got for listeners based on your read of the science as to how to do that hard work of self-discovery? Like, what are the tools that you, you found to be most fruitful for, for you know, knowing uh, you know, the, the essential aspects of who you are so that you can be more intelligent about taking that journey into discovery of finding, you know, where the places are that you're going to be most successful in your life and in your work? I mean, that, it's, a, it's an excellent question because what the research shows pretty consistently is people are horrendous at this. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> people are really bad. Uh, often at, at knowing it. And uh, management guru Peter Drucker talked about uh, something called feedback analysis, where he, he talked about you know, making predictions about how you would fare, a certain decision you would make, and then recording that and then looking back on it. That's, that's, a, that's a, a useful way to kind of like record your predictions, your efforts, and then, and then being able to test them. But, but that, that takes a little bit of time, and I, I, don't, I don't know how compliant people would be with a, with a system like that. Now, a system I think is very good that people can do. Uh, is frankly the research does show that your friends often know you better than yourself. Uh, however, uh, your, it all, the research also shows that your friends are often reluctant to give you uh, negative feedback. Mm-hmm. So just uh, basically doing, doing an anonymous email survey uh, of, your, of your friends, having, having someone uh, stand in the middle, having, uh, sending out an email with some questions about what do you think my mm-hmm. strengths are, what do you think my weaknesses are, mm-hmm. and having five to ten friends uh, you know, uh, reply to that. And like I said, if you can have an intermediary so that it remains anonymous, mm-hmm. people are more likely to be honest with of you. Course. Um, and of course, you're going to get some, some random answers, but you're probably going to see some trends. You're probably going to see that a number of your friends uh, agree on what you're good at, what you're not good at. Uh, and, and that's a really good, you know, first step because people who know you well, uh, getting them to be honest via anonymity yep. um, and looking for those trends is a very powerful first step towards towards those towards getting those answers. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Just holding up that social mirror around you and the people who know you and, and having that come into you filtered so that they're free to be candid is uh, is a wonderful way to open up your mind to seeing yourself in perhaps a different light. Let me ask you personally, uh, Eric, what, what would success, what does success mean to you in your own life and work? How are you going to know if your life is successful? Uh, that's, I mean, that, frankly, it's like that's, that's one of the reasons I, I started on this project <laughs> because, uh, because, you know, I had reached uh, a crossroads where uh, I had been, uh, you know, working in Hollywood for, for 10 years and I, I had some success. I wrote for Disney, I wrote for Fox, I had some movies produced. It was, it was very exciting, but, you know, I, I wasn't feeling fulfilled uh, all around. Mm-hmm. And I really started to ask that question. And I, I shifted after having done the work on the book. Uh, I shifted to the model that uh, that I saw from um, uh, two two Harvard professors did a research on on, on work life balance, and they surveyed a number of very successful people to try and try and get some answers. And what they found is the people that were most uh, that most got close to not always succeeded, but got close to uh, 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 some semblance of work life balance basically had four metrics that they used. And those were happiness, uh, uh, happiness, 
achievement, significance, and legacy. And what those four mean is happiness, obviously, are you enjoying your life, enjoying what you're doing? Achievement, are you getting ahead, are you making progress? Significance means, you know, making a difference in the lives of the people you love. And then fourth is legacy, is in some form feeling like you're making the world a better place, that you're giving back. And since I've shifted to using uh, those four metrics, you know, I've felt uh, a much better, uh, a much better uh, uh, balance in my life and a much better idea of, you know, of how, of what I was missing, because I think many of us uh, go in too much on on one metric and not Mm -hmm. as much as the other. So what was missing that you have now found a way to fill? Um, for me, I I really found that I I tended I tended to go uh, all in uh, kind of uh, on achievement uh, mm-hmm. and and towards uh, legacy in terms of my blog and my email newsletter mm-hmm. trying to you know trying to ha- trying to help people out there, but uh, I often neglected uh, my day to day kind of personal happiness, really like mm-hmm. enjoying what was going on and uh, and. And because of especially writing a book and doing the blog, uh, I tended to neglect my relationships and uh, and and focusing on the the people around me who matter. And and it was funny because doing doing the research for the chapter on work life balance uh, it got it cut a little too close to home in terms of looking at some of the mistakes of uh, people have made. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was very it was uh, it was it was very telling uh, for me. So I've made some changes. Uh, so as so as not to be a, a hypocrite in writing about this stuff. Well, I, I am a fan of uh, some of your most important tips. You know, the morning ritual, getting up early and doing the most important work when your brain is rested. Uh, that's how I, when my kids were young, uh, I'd get up even, even during the summers. We'd be out, you know, on a vacation space, and I'd wake up, you know, before dawn, and I'd work for like a few hours. Uh, and then when the kids got up, I was with them. But in that morning time, those first few hours, that's how I wrote books and articles. And it was it was a, a really good way to to go out, you know, the day. And of course, that has changed as I'm older. But uh, like so now, you know, a day is not successful or productive if I don't have at least two short naps during the day. In fact, <laughs> I have a mat in my office here at Wharton. Not too many people know this. And I just you know I shut off the lights, lock the door, and just put it out. Uh, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's just changes everything. Now, I've needed that more as, as I've grown older than when I was younger. I also try, whenever humanly possible, not to schedule any meetings before noon. Now, I know a lot of people are listening, like, okay, that's very nice that you can do that, Professor Friedman, but, like, I can't figure that. <laughs> and again, that's not something I was always able to do. But, that you know, having some control over your morning, hugely important. And then in the evenings, I pretty much block those for me and my wife to just relax and have fun together, you know, and that's... Anyway, I, I completely applaud what you are going after with those. Uh, which ones did I miss that, that are really important for our listeners? Because we're coming to the end of our, of our time here, unfortunately, Eric. Uh, no, I, I think you've actually uh, elucidated some of the really great ones in terms of, you know, in terms of using the best hours when, you're, when your brain's at its best yep. you know, for, for the hard work, for the cognitively intensive work. Mm-hmm. Naps are fantastic. Uh, you know, get, getting enough sleep is critical and and it's something that i have not always been so fantastic about but getting enough sleep at night naps are i i, I mean i've written before just to summarize the research uh naps are steroids for your brain i mean you know naps oh, I like are, that. are fantastic and steroids and, you know, for and, your brain legal legal steroids amazing. 
I, I, it's legal, legal, uh, and not only safe but but healthy and and, and approved, uh, backed by plenty of NASA research. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but uh, but no, I, I think that's fantastic. And and doing the the more busy work, meetings, phone calls uh, in afternoons uh, is is a great way when you're when you're when your brain's slowing down a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, to do the less cognitively intensive tasks. And then, you know, having a shutdown time where you stop work, relax, enjoy yourself, focus on your relationships, you know, and, uh, and, and have some quality time with people you care about. You know, those are that, that, that you've run down a fantastic schedule that, that more people should should uh, should definitely. Follow. Well, I'm glad we got to those. Um, we, we are nearing our end here. One of the wonderful things about your your great book barking up the wrong tree is the examples that you give from all different streams of history and literature, uh, including Genghis Khan, Albert Einstein, and Spider-Man. Uh, choose your favorite one of those three and tell us, like, what did you learn from that person's life about success and, and how to live? Uh, I think the, the, you know, the, the example uh, from, uh, you know, from Albert Einstein was, was very telling because, uh, you know, he went all in kind of all on his work, on his ideas, and, you know, neglect, but what few people know is how much he neglected his family, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how much he basically wrote up a contract uh, for his wife in terms of how she should behave and I, how she should leave him alone. I that, couldn't, I read know, that in much, your book, I could not believe yeah. that, but go, please continue. Oh, no, that destroyed his marriage, he had a, he had a, uh, a he had a son mm-hmm. who, who, who literally said, I'm paraphrasing, but his son literally said, uh, the only project my father gave up on was me, mm. and uh, he had another son who was uh, who was uh, institutionalized. And so, I, I don't think Einstein saw him for more than uh, the last ten years of his life. So Einstein, you know, one of the most lauded minds and lives of you know the, the last hundred fifty years, is he successful? I, I mean, again, if you want to take a personal definition of success, I mean, it would depend on him. But you know, I, I don't think that's the life most people. Mm-hmm. want to lead, lead in terms of professional and personal success. When people hear about his personal life, you know, I don't think most people would tell their children, this is the model right. that, that you should follow, uh, because that's the critical issue with work-life balance is that, yes, more hours produce more output, uh, and the, the office doesn't close at 5 p.m. We can work 24-7 if we choose, so it's incumbent upon us in the modern era to decide when we're going to stop uh, and when we're going to say this is enough work, and I, I want to lead a well-rounded personal life, and you know that that decision is difficult. But now with a twenty-four-seven, always-on uh, mm-hmm. world, we need to make that decision for ourselves, or we risk, uh, you know, potentially falling into that that Einstein trap. Yes, we must claim control over our lives and draw those boundaries. Uh, so, uh, last comment, then, if I can ask you to distill the, the most important message of, of your book, Barking Up the, the Wrong Tree, what should our listeners um, you know, most essentially hold on to? I think it's that, that formula for success. I think the first thing is doing, doing the, the hard work of, of asking yourself, of getting to know yourself, of realizing what your strengths are, what your intensifiers are. So those those traits that have you've always been criticized for, mm-hmm. is there an environment where they could be rewarded? Or if you're disagreeable, hey, maybe maybe litigation would be good for you. If you're if you're stubborn and stick to things no matter what, mm-hmm. maybe an entrepreneurial activity would be good for you. Realizing your signature strengths, realizing your intensifiers, and then asking yourself, 
which environments, corporations, groups reward those, Mm -hmm. incentivize who you already are. And I think doing that, you know, because very often we have strengths and there's plenty of companies that reward all different kinds of strengths. It's that alignment issue that many of us struggle with. Eric, uh, where should people go to find out more about you and the great work that you're doing? Uh, my book's available on Amazon.com and other booksellers, uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And uh, my blog uh, is uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. The URL is a little little tricky, so if people just Google uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree blog or Google my name, Eric Parker, and the best way to, to keep up with what I'm doing is I have a weekly, weekly newsletter. If they sign up for my email newsletter, uh, it's one email a week. It keeps them up on the, the latest research and ideas I'm, 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 I'm plucking out and, and taking a look at. Fantastic. Eric Barker, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Eric Barker, the author of Barking Up the Wrong Tree, and that you took away some useful ideas about which trees you might be barking up. So here's a challenge for you, an invitation. Picking up on one of the things that Eric and I talked about, If you, like so many others, are wondering how to best find the work that suits your skills and interests and strengths well, why not ask a few people who know you well to tell you what are your most important strengths? Find some folks who you could ask that question to without it seeming too awkward, and then hold up what I like to refer to as your social mirror, seeing yourself in the reflection of those around you so you can learn more about who you are. With this insight, ask yourself whether these strengths of yours that others see Because you will see patterns. You will see themes. They will emerge, especially if you talk to more than just one or two people. Whether these strengths of yours are indeed being tapped, used well in your current work. And if not, where might they be? If you try this or something like it, you can write to me and let me know what you discover. I would love to hear about it. You can tweet at Stu Friedman or email me at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. This very method is something quite similar to what I wrote about uh, in one of the many exercises uh, in my book, Leading the Life You Want, Skills for Integrating Work and Life. But for more information about Eric Barker, I urge you to follow him, uh, read his weekly blog at, ready? It's B A. K-A-D-E-S-U-Y-O dot com. I'll repeat. B-A-K-A-D-E-S-U-Y-O dot com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Bacadesoyo. That's B-A-K-A-D-E-S-U-Y-O. And get his new book, This will probably be the easiest thing for you to do, barking up the wrong tree. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.